The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. It is good to be worshiping Him. And uh, so, if you have your Bibles, let's open them to the book of Acts, chapter 14. We're going to be going through verses 1 through 18. And the title of the message is Breakthrough. And I wonder how many of you need and, and are looking for a breakthrough at this time in your life. We all could use a breakthrough. Let's bow our heads and pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you and pray and ask that the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. Lord, you know all of those who are here this evening. Each one has their own story. They have their own lives. Uh, this has been an incredible year, an amazing year, uh, a strange year. And so, Lord, we, we are looking up to heaven. We are calling upon your name. We are surrendering ourselves uh, for the outpouring of your spirit into us and upon us. We want to hear the word of the Lord for now. We want to hear the word of the Lord for this coming week. Lord, we are eager as your children to hear your word, to believe in it, to trust in it. We're ready to walk in it, declare it, and to obey it. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful name we pray and ask all of these things. And everyone said, amen. Okay, Acts chapter 14. We're going to look at the first uh, 18 verses. So let's start <clears throat> with verse 1. It says, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude, both of Jews and of the Greeks, believed. So here is uh, point number one for your outlines. We are made in the image of God. Now, the city of Iconium uh, was really, I mean, I know this is in the Roman era. Rome was kind of controlling. Rome had conquered Greece. But in many ways, Rome did not have so much its own culture. They, they had a really good army, and they had kind of a good political administration of things. But culturally, they were not as rich or as deep as the Greek cultures. So there were cities like Iconium that retained pretty much their Greek culture, their Greek religion, their, which means their Greek gods and goddesses and so forth. So the city of Iconium was more Greek than Roman. Now, if you're thinking geographically, where are we here in this part of the world? Where is Paul and Barnabas as they begin going on their missionary journeys? Iconium would be in the modern country of Turkey. And Paul's ministry, of course, the first place he would go into a city was to the synagogue and, and to where the Jewish people are. So he goes to Iconium and he begins to gather the Jews together because Jews scattered throughout the world they had the prophecies, they had the scriptures, they had the understanding of right and wrong, the Ten Commandments, uh, the, the one creator, not zillions of gods and goddesses like the Greeks, and, and they would have a synagogue. So 
Paul and Barnabas would start there with them. Some of them would become believers and then they would begin going out and sharing their faith in the local community within the city and a revival would break out. And what began happening is every time Paul and Barnabas would go, they would go to the synagogue first, find the Jews, and basically plug in to all of their outlines. They all knew about David. They all knew about the Messiah, the son of David, the tribe of Judah, born in Bethlehem. And they just put Jesus of Nazareth as the fulfillment of all that big itinerary and understanding of the Messiah. The Messiah came. His name is Jesus of Nazareth. He did miracles more than any other prophet, more than Elijah, more than Elisha, more power and authority than Moses himself. He was crucified, he rose from the dead, he paid for our sins, and they would become believers. Then they would begin sharing with the other Gentiles in that area. What I want you to know about Iconium, if you know Greek a little bit, there's the word icon. Iconium, the root word of that city is icon, and icon means image. So what a great contrast. Here, um, it, you know, we have the image of man, and the Greek religion have basically made uh, their gods and goddesses in the image of themselves, which is opposite of God who made us in his image or after his likeness. So there is the image that a man or a woman will make of himself or herself, but then there is the image of God Almighty, the one God, the great God, the powerful God, the God above all other gods, the supreme God in the heavens. And the gospel recreates a man or a woman in the image of God spiritually. So how many of you are here tonight? Obviously you're here at church and we're here sharing the gospel and going through the Bible. How many of you believe Jesus Christ is the son of God? Amen? He's our Lord. He's our savior. We are made in his image when you accept Christ. And if there's anybody that is watching or listening that doesn't know Christ at the end, I'm going to give you a very simple opportunity to pray tonight. You can be born again. You can be saved and literally, you become more than just as a natural man or a woman, you become a supernatural man or woman when you are born again and your spirit is baptized and born and filled with the life of eternity and the spirit of the living God. Can I hear an amen on that? So beautiful. So we become supernatural men and women made in the image and after the likeness of God. So the gospel recreates us in the image of God spiritually. But I will say it's a process. And the more clearly that you see God in the mirror of our soul, the more we become like him. So I wanna encourage you, our eyes are to be looking unto the Lord. We are to be looking at him, looking unto him, lifting him up, honoring him, glorifying him, worshiping him, worthy, worthy, worthy as the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth, worthy of all glory and honor, and his kingdom shall last forever and ever. Look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Let's read this scripture out loud together. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory 
to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So this is amazing because the Bible is a mirror, this is the word of God, and in the mirror, through the scriptures that are inspired and written by the Holy Spirit, men were the instruments, kind of like the pen, but the author was the Spirit of God, who used men and wrote through them the infallible word of God. And what we, what we have then in scripture is a mirror of God Almighty himself. And here's the beautiful thing. The more you look at the mirror, the more you study the mirror of God's word, his spirit, his character, his glory, his promises, you and I begin to be transformed. We change, we become more and more and more like that beautiful image of the glory of God as we behold him clearer and clearer. Does that, is that, does that sound good? I want to be more and more like the Lord. And so we behold with unveiled face as in a mirror the glory of the Lord and we are transformed. Literally that word means transfigured. So all of that out of just verse one. So they were there in the city known as the city of icons or images preaching the gospel to get men and women back into the image of God. Now look with me in verses two and three. Beginning in verse two, it says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. And therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So I want you to note this, signs and wonders follow the word. They would go into a city, they would preach the gospel, they would begin teaching and discipling, and then following their preaching and teaching about Jesus Christ, miracles, healings, deliverances, signs, and wonders would follow their preaching. So this means everywhere Paul and Barnabas went, it wasn't just like any other city or any other town or any other couple of guys coming in with some new philosophy, some new political idea or whatever. They preached with power, with passion, as eyewitnesses, as personal ear witnesses. They had experienced the Lord. They gave the word with power. And then what they said was demonstrated by signs and wonders and miracles and healings and the supernatural. But what I want you to note is that signs and wonders follow the word. Now it's not to actually uh, begin, we're not to start with that, but it's actually to follow. It follows why to confirm the word. So here they, they, they go, they begin preaching, some powerful things begin happening, and they get opposition. There's a spiritual battle that's going on. There's opposition to what they are pre preaching and what they are sharing. So what did they do? Oh no, there's people that are against us. There's people that are stirring up opposition against us. What should we do? It says they stayed even longer. Let me give a word to you that sometimes we get challenged. We, we have, you know, we begin walking in the spirit. We're surrendering to the Lord. Father, I just want to follow you and walk with you. And I want to walk in more obedience and walk closer to you. And then we start getting resistance. 
And the natural human reaction is to shy away. Well, maybe I'm being too strong. Maybe I'm being too bold. Maybe I'm coming on too much and I need to back off a little bit. But the Lord here was telling Paul and Barnabas, yeah, there's opposition, so stay longer. And I wonder if there's someone that I speak to here tonight that you're getting some opposition, you're getting some resistance, you're wondering what should I do, may this be a word of encouragement to you. Stick with it, stay where you are, be loyal, be faithful, walk in obedience, that the Lord will give you a supernatural breakthrough in his time and in his hour. Amen? So stay faithful, stay loyal. And God then also enabled his sons to perform signs and wonders as credentials that they were indeed the servants of the true Lord. Look with me in Mark chapter 16, verse 17. Now let's read this out loud together. And these signs will follow those who believe. So underline in your Bible the word follow. They will follow the, si the signs and wonders, follow the message of the gospel, the teaching of the word, and they confirm the word. They confirm the message of the gospel. Look with me at this scripture, Mark chapter 16, verse 20. And I'm hearing a little bit of an echo or reverb or something that if we could turn that down just a smidge, that would be good. Okay, Mark chapter 16, verse 20. And let's read this out loud. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. So there it says it. Right there, the Lord confirmed his word with signs following miracles and so forth. Now let me say that there have been times where, because we're amazed with miracles, we're amazed with signs and wonders, but there have been times where the church has been prone because maybe that'll get a bigger crowd or it'll gather more people. So let's start with, you know, the signs and wonders and then maybe when the crowd is there, then we can minister to them or whatever. But the word says that we should share the message of the gospel. We should teach the word of God first and then the signs follow. And I realize there will be times like when Jesus was out and, you know, among the people or in the marketplace and even Paul and Barnabas on occasion. In fact, we're going to see an example in this chapter where a healing takes place supernaturally and then they're able to use that to preach the gospel. But as far as a pattern and especially for the church, it should be the teaching of the word of God. It should be line upon line, precept upon precept. And then God will confirm his word with signs, with wonders, with miracles, with healings. And that's what I've loved about what we've been doing, especially with communion. Uh, at the end of the service, once a month, laying hands on people and praying for people, and God is confirming his word. He is confirming that Jesus Christ is risen, that he is alive, that he is powerful, that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It's not just something that we intellectually believe, but it's confirmed with the risen, resurrected, now presence of the Holy Spirit. He still works great things. Amen? Hallelujah. So again, look with me, um, Romans 15, verses 18 and 19. So this is when Paul is writing a letter 
to the Romans, so these were the predominantly Gentiles who had become believers in Jesus Christ. So let's read this out loud. To make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So again, in Paul's ministry, it wasn't just the teaching of doctrine or the presentation of the gospel, but he says, I was among you, and especially even outside the Jewish world, with confirmation, with signs, wonders, miracles, healings that the Holy Spirit has done. It was the power, mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God. And all of that is to confirm his word. So that's what Paul and Barnabas are doing. They had been preaching there in Iconium. Now they get opposition. They say, well, we'll stay here longer because those who had believed, they wanted to be able to disciple them. They wanted to be able to follow them up. They wanted to give them a strong, firm foundation in their walk with the Lord. All right, so let's look now at verses four through seven. The true gospel, and this is an interesting one, will also bring division. So look with me beginning in verse four. It says, but the multitude of the city was divided. Now, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers, to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding region, and they were preaching the gospel there. Now, look at verse four real quick. This is the first time in the book of Acts that Paul and Barnabas are called apostles meaning they were sent. They were sent with the authority of heaven, with the message, with the accompanying power, signs and wonders, God's hand was upon them. And as they went out, they, they were the apostles of God. An apostle means sent by God. In modern terms, in many ways, what we would call missionaries that go to other lands and other countries and other peoples and other tribes and do work and to share the gospel and to bring them the knowledge of Jesus Christ and his love, that's kind of an apostolic ministry. Now the 12 original apostles were unique as they were eyewitnesses of Jesus Christ, so apostles with a capital A. But I do believe the apostolic ministry is still with us today with a small a, and it really means to be sent to others on behalf of the kingdom of heaven and of the Lord and bring people the good news. But I think it's interesting here that as you know, Paul and Barnabas are following the Lord, as they are being obedient uh, to share the gospel and go to all these lands, it says, look again, verse four, but the multitude of this city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. Sometimes the true gospel brings division. The word is a sharp two-edged sword and it reveals things. It's very, very powerful. It's very, very sharp and it divides. It, it can bring division. 
One time Jesus said, do you think that I came to bring peace? No, I came to bring this kind of division. Now it doesn't mean ultimately that he wants everything to be divided, but the word to divide literally means to reveal. There's something about the word of God and the truth of God's word that reveals your heart and the gospel itself. If you resist Jesus, if you resist the gospel, if you resist the prophecies that he fulfilled, you are resisting the spirit of God and there will be a division between you and the Lord. Now some hear it and they're ready, they're convicted. The sword goes into their heart and the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. You surrender, you yield, and you are born again, hallelujah. But with some, it does bring a division and that's the true gospel. So we're not gonna, you know, the whole world is not going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl must make their own choice and their own decision. Jesus talks about the separating of the sheep from the goats. So the, the gospel is going forth. And, and the Lord said, there will be a remnant who will know me, who will follow me. Those who hear my voice and follow me and obey me they are my sheep. So on earth, we have a little bit of time. We get to decide, do we wanna yield to the ministry of the Holy Spirit? Do we wanna yield our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we really want to acknowledge that he is Lord, we are submitted to him, we give him ourselves spirit, soul, and body, and now we're in relationship with him for all time and eternity, amen? It's beautiful to be in relationship with the Lord, but there are some that resist it. That's what was happening as Paul and Barnabas went through ancient Rome. Some literally were divided against them. But it is interesting that at this point, so the first time, the first few verses we read, they got opposition, and what did they do? They stayed longer to disciple those who had made a decision for Christ. But here it's interesting that, you know, there was more opposition and it just rose up. And after they had done some discipleship, they chose to move on. They chose to leave, which is the opposite of what they did the first time. The first time they stayed longer. The second time they stayed for a while and then they go, okay, now it's time for us to leave. What's, so what are we, what's the Lord saying to us? We have to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. For every season, for every situation, there may be times, and for some of you, this may be a time that the word of the Lord to you out of this message is, hang in there. Don't move. Stay where you are. Be faithful. You're gonna have a breakthrough. There may be others of you that the Lord is saying, now it's time to move on. In fact, let me give you a scripture for it. Jesus himself said in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verse 23, and let's read this scripture out loud together. When they persecute you in this city, flee to another. There's a point at which you share the gospel and, and when there's a certain level of, okay, we don't want this, we hear you, we got it, we're not into it, we don't want it. He said, okay, shake the dust off your feet, turn around and leave. And I think that's a very important message for us as we share our faith, as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, 
I know that there's, you know, there are times when we want to grab one of our family members and we kind of want to know this is the truth. I've seen it. Jesus is real. I'm going to, you know, you've got to, and you want to make them, you want to make the decision for them. How many of you have come to learn we can't make the decision for somebody else? They got to make their own decision. So the gospel does not come by forcing, but the gospel comes by presenting and then you leave it to them and you leave it to the work of the Holy Spirit and there are times when you literally have to move on or you have to go down the road. Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. This is a classic scripture that Joshua was talking to the children of Israel and, and he was saying, guys, are, are we with God or not? And he basically, they're supposedly the chosen people, but he said, you've got to choose. Are you going to keep following these other gods of the Canaanites or are we going to follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? So this is a shortened version, but 20, Joshua 24, verse 15. Let's read this scripture out loud together. Choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen? Amen. You make a choice you make a decision, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. This family is gonna serve the Lord. This marriage is gonna serve the Lord. Those who are with us, we are walking in the ways of God. We're gonna serve the Lord no matter what. And that's a choice we have to make and a choice then that we walk into. All right, look with me in verses uh, eight through 10. The next part of our little story here, and it's a crippled man's response to the word, beginning there in verse eight. It says, and in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. And Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now let's just stop there for a second. Here's what's interesting, because now we, the first half of Acts, we were following Peter. And if you remember back in Acts chapter three, kind of the beginning of the early church, right after Pentecost, uh, Peter and John are going into the beautiful gate at the hour of prayer, and there was a man there, lame from birth, asking alms, alms for the poor. And Peter looked at that man and said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And then he reached out, grabbed the man, pulled him up to his feet. The man began to walk and leap and praise God. And then a huge crowd gathered together. And then Peter preached the gospel. <laughs> so that was not a sign that followed the preaching, but it was actually a miracle that set up an opportunity for Peter to preach. But what I find interesting is that is a huge story. It's the second message Peter preached after Pentecost itself. And it was a huge gathering. Several thousand came to the Lord in that one 
uh, sermon that Peter delivered. How interesting now that about halfway through Acts, we shift from Peter, who is predominantly to the Jews, now to Paul and Barnabas, who are going outside of the Jewish world to the whole world, the Roman world, and the Gentiles all over the world. And God does the same thing. There is a man, and apparently Peter and Paul uh, are, you know, they're, they're going through the city, they're out in the streets, they're out in the marketplace, and they're on, in the marketplace talking about Jesus of Nazareth and who he was and th that he was a miracle worker and the miracles and the signs and that he was a Messiah and that he's from Israel and from David and there was a lame guy apparently, you know, sitting and he couldn't walk around. So he's hearing this whole conversation. And as he hears Paul talk about this Jesus and how he would speak and how he would give a command and how lame people would be able to walk, he's like, well, that, I think I could believe in Jesus, the way this man is talking about him. And Paul looked at him and he saw, he was believing. He was able to discern you're believing what I'm saying about this Jesus of Nazareth. And realizing you're believing what I am saying, the same miracles I've been talking about on the street and the marketplace can happen to you. And Paul gazes at him, just like Peter gazed at that guy. And I believe the Lord opened his eyes and he gave a command. He didn't walk up to him. He didn't touch him. He just spoke to him and he said, stand up on your feet in the name of Jesus. And this lame man stands up, begins walking, then begins leaping. But now we're not in a Jewish context. We're in a Gentile context. They've never heard of anything like this, never seen anything like this. And the place goes berserk. The place goes nuts. He's running around, hopping and, you know, shouting and pop, people knew they'd seen the guy before. What is that lame guy doing walking around, leaping and jumping? And, and then they look at, hey, it's the two strangers. They look and, you know, it's kind of obvious that Paul, he's not, you're not from around these parts, are you? And his, his buddy Barnabas are standing there and they're watching all of that. The cure was miraculous. And what I want you to know is, uh, Paul was not preaching a message. He was just talking on a street corner in a marketplace about Jesus of Nazareth. And a guy was eavesdropping and mixed faith with what he was hearing. And then the miracle happened. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. So what I want to encourage all of us to do is, it's great that we, you know, when we come to church, we open our Bibles, we talk about Jesus and who he is and his power and his resurrection and his ability to heal and touch us. But did you know we can have those same kinds of conversations in the marketplace, wherever we go, and if there happen to be people eavesdropping and listening in, who knows, but by hearing the word, Faith comes by hearing the word. And he, this man heard and he believed and he experienced an incredible miracle. Amen. Glory to God. So how many of you are encouraged? Talk about Jesus anywhere, everywhere, not just at home, not just at church. Let's talk about Jesus. In fact, share 
Some of the stories that we've shared with you here of God's touching people, healing people. I mean, you know, how's that gonna go when you're down in produce and you know, you're looking to get some grapes or whatever and you go, wow, did you hear about the man that got healed of cancer at our church when we had communion? There are people like, what? I was going for, you know, some grapes and you're talking about what? Well, my, you know, and they might share with you, well, my, my dad's going through some, you know, stuff or whatever and say, well, you know what? Prayer still works. Jesus still heals. He's real. And take the conversation wherever the Lord may have it. Okay, look with me, verses 11 through 13. Now, what is the crowd's response to this healing of this man? So we look beginning in verse 11. It says, now, when the people saw what Paul had done, everybody could see Paul. Hey, fella, <laughs> I see that you have faith. The Jesus I've been talking about is alive and he is risen. And I command you in the name of Jesus, stand up on your feet. You are free. You are liberated. You may now walk. And the guy tries. He's able to do it. And he takes off. Now, when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. They'd never seen anything like this in their lives. They read about it in you know, their, their little children's books about the gods did this and that, all these miraculous stories of the ancient great gods, but they never saw it for real among men living then. And they're like, wow. This is like the stories we've heard about the gods coming down. And Barnabas, they called Zeus. The gods have come down. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Oh, this is hilarious. Because notice they were speaking in the Lycaonian language. Translation, Paul and Barnabas have no clue what they're saying. They're blah, 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 blah. They, they hear all the, the shouts and excitement and they're like, wow, God just did, did a miracle. These people are yelling and screaming and shouting. We have no idea what they're saying, but that's kind of cool. The Lord's doing something. He's turning the people, hey, hey, Barnabas, is this cool or what? Look what God's doing, all these Gentiles. What did they say? I have no idea. Meanwhile, they go and they bring a calf and, you know, some oxen and they've got an altar there and the guy's got a big ax and he's ready to, and they've got garlands and people are already starting to bow down in front of Paul and Barnabas and worship him like they're God. They go, uh-oh, no, 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 no. Now, here's what's interesting about that city. The people of Lystra had a legend that once Zeus and Hermes, the Greek gods, visited their city disguised as human beings. So imagine, in the city was a legend and a story that two of the gods, the super gods, had come down in the form of men and looked to see if the city or the people would be how they would treat them. They disguised themselves as mere mortals. And apparently the whole city treated them roughly, they didn't like them, they didn't offer any help. There was only one elderly couple that showed any hospitality and therefore according to the legend when the when the two saw that they destroyed the population you know like gods they just wiped everybody out and then they honored the elderly couple and they said now you guys start this city over again we will come back someday and see if you've learned anything 
So you go to this, the city of Lystra or whatever, and they've got this little temple, and there were two trees representing the two gods that had come. So that's in their minds, and all of a sudden, that's why everybody goes nuts. Not only is it a miracle, they've never seen anything like this, but it fit the legend that the people had, that there's gonna be two gods that will come, and they are ready to bow down and to worship them. Now, look with me, we'll, we'll wrap this up, verses 14 through 18. Because now the people are ready to, you know, the, the gospel has gotten off here. They think Paul's a God, they think Barnabas is a God. What are they gonna do? So I leave you with this, verses 14 through 18, learning to build a bridge to others. I'm sharing the gospel, sometimes we need to build a bridge. So beginning in verse 14, it says, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, when somebody translated and said, they think you're gods, they're getting ready to sacrifice and worship you, they, Paul and Barnabas, tore their clothes. They start ripping, shredding, tearing their clothes and ran in among the multitudes. So they're running into the people saying, stop. You guys have no idea what you're doing, what that, what's gonna happen to us, and crying out and saying, men, why are you doing this? We are not gods. We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And they, with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. I want you to think about this for just one minute. What if they had said, okay, they think we're gods, we know we're not, but maybe if they're all kind of bowing down to us, you know, Barnabas, we could use, we could accept their worship and use that and then kind of tell them the truth somewhere down the road. How many would agree that would be a bad thing? That would have been a horrible thing. But there are some times that people will say, well, the end justifies the means. No, the end does not justify the means. <laughs> the means has to be holy, the end has to be holy, and you have to start with the holy so that it's holy all the way through. Amen. So instinctively, they start you know, tearing their clothes. Now, most of you hopefully know that's a very Jewish cultural thing and when you rip your robe, when you tear your robe, that's when you are grieving or you're trying to grab their attention and say, you are ripping my heart in half. Stop what you are doing. Because they, they tore their clothes as a Jewish response to blasphemy. If you say we're gods, if we even think about accepting that worship as gods, God will take our lives. We do not want to be guilty of blasphemy. We are not gods. We are men, just like you. Stop, get off your knees, stand up, and let us share with you. So they did it instinctively. Now, what's interesting is, when they went to Lystra, there was no synagogue. Usually, they would go to a place, and they would go to the synagogue and start with at least a few Jewish people known in the community that could help translate the understanding of Judaism and the one true God and the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and the prophecies of the Messiah. But there was no synagogue in Lystra. 
And what that tells us is how, what is the, you know, the bare essentials necessary for having a synagogue. You had to have at least 10 Jewish men in a city. And if you had 10, you could have a, you know, religious legal synagogue. What does it tell us that Lystra did not have a synagogue? It didn't even have 10. Maybe it had a handful, but it really had nothing. I mean, this was literally like a clean slate and they didn't know what to do with it. So there's no background. Paul can't use prophecies. He can't use the Old Testament. He can't plug anything in. So Paul needs to build a bridge. And I, I wanna just share this and plant this seed with you that there are, there are those you know, in our community who have not Christian parents, let alone a Jewish background or any religious upbringing or background at all. Maybe they, their parents were atheists. They are clueless. They have no language of anything of the Bible or you know, the spirit moving or understanding of anything. And God puts you there to be able to speak to their general you know, spiritual void. How are you going to share with them? You need to find a bridge to be able to speak to them and share with them the gospel. So Paul begins with creation. Paul begins with nature. Paul begins with the beauty of, of the heavens and the earth that are around us. I wanna share this with you. It's very, very powerful. As man is made in the image of God, so the earth has been made in the image of heaven. I wanna say that one more time. Just as you as a man or a human being, man or woman, are made in the image of God, so the earth with its mountains, trees, flowers, rivers, streams, life, greenery, and all the rest of it, so the earth was made in the image of heaven. I heard somebody recently say something that was very sad and ignorant at the same time. He goes, I don't understand why there's all these Christian people who believe in some man sitting on a chair floating in space. That was his idea of Jesus Christ. Some guy sitting on a chair in the middle of nothing up in, and that's all, he, and I was just like, oh my goodness, you, you have no frame. Number one, it's not a chair, it's a throne. Number two, he's not just floating around in nothingness. There is a world there. In fact, there's a kingdom there. There's a realm there. And in fact, there are everything that you can see on earth. Earth was made in the image of heaven. It's not some other weird thing that we've never known. It's gonna be, you know, a thousand million times more and better. But literally, it's like, we get a little bit, a, a glance into what heaven is like or what it could be. There's a river that's gonna flow literally from the throne of God with the trees on either side and with all their fruits. And anyway, it's, it's just beautiful. So God, so Paul is now ministering with that concept. He says, look, it's, there's not dozens or hundreds or thousands of gods and goddesses. There's one supreme God. And God is the one that has blessed you and given you fruitful ground. Lystra 
was the corn basket of that part of the world. It was the Nebraska, Iowa of that entire area. He said, and that God, now why are they paying attention, hanging on every word to what Paul is sharing? Because whoever this God that he's revealing and talking about is the same God that healed a man lame from birth. Pretty powerful. So you have our attention, stranger. Who is he? Well, he happens to be the God, the supreme God, the creator God, the one who made all of nature. And he gave you this fruitful land that you live in here in Lystra. He gave you your fruitful seasons. He gives you annually your abundant crops. He gives you the rain and he is reflected in and through nature. But what I want you to know is that he has come through the person of his son, Jesus. And Paul began to preach Jesus, that Jesus was the incarnation of the risen God, the, the re resurrected Savior and Lord. So Paul says, turn from your myths and legends and listen to the truth. It laid the foundation for him to be able to present Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Would you all bow your heads and close your eyes? We'll stop there for right now. But I want you to begin praying for someone either that you know, a family member, a friend that is not walking with the Lord or does not know the Lord or a coworker, a neighbor, whatever. And let us pray that God will save them. He bring the gospel to them. Boy, we're living in some amazing times. And I believe that in the midst of all of the chaos and the craziness and the fear and the anxiety that God has revealed the emptiness that, you know, has, has been shared. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart soul of every human being on planet earth. And only the living God can fill that area. There's no amount of pleasures or money or idols or habits that can fill that void or that emptiness. And we need to pray for them. And by the way, if you're listening tonight on the radio or watching online at home with us or you're visiting us here, and you're a seeker, you're, the Lord's grabbed your attention. And you are, you've come to a place where maybe for the first time in your life, things that you used to not believe in or trust in about Jesus and the gospel, you're kind of like, you know what? I think I was wrong. And I think intuitively you know he's true. The story of this man that is unlike any other man in human history did things that no ordinary man could do. Literally, whatever disease, he could speak and end and kill and destroy that disease. He raised the dead. Who else has done that? Cast out demons. Demons from the spirit world knew who he was and walked in terror and fear of him. Then he predicted how he was gonna die. I'm gonna be rejected, I'm gonna be betrayed, I'm gonna be put up on a cross, and I am telling you, on the third day, you wait, you watch, I'm gonna rise from the dead. 
And I'm gonna prove to you that I have the power I claim to have and that I am who I claim to be the son of God. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. So if you're ready to, you know, where, where is Jesus in relation to that person that's like, okay, you know, I'm starting to get it, I'm figuring it out, I'm ready, what must I do? He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into them. So I'm gonna lead us in a very simple childlike prayer because the Lord Jesus, by his spirit, he's always been with you, watched over you, protected you probably a thousand times. But he will not force himself inside of your life. You have to invite him in. And then you have to admit, once you invite him in, that you need him and that you're a sinner, which is basically anything less than 100% perfection. I think it's, you know, I don't care. All 7 billion people, it's the most obvious thing that is confirmed daily by how we live and treat one another. We are broken, lost sinners. And we need a savior. And that's why Jesus came. He said, I came to save you. I came to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. And then you invite him in, you ask him to forgive you of everything you've done. And he will, you will be born again spiritually, supernaturally. His spirit comes inside of you because you were never meant to live alone or in your own head or in your own strength or in your own thoughts or in your own power. You were meant to be with him in a relationship on the inside that will fill you with more love and joy and peace than you've ever known. And it will only grow exponentially on into eternity as you become his son or daughter. So I'm gonna pray this and uh, those who know the Lord can pray again out loud with me and after me. It doesn't mean you're getting saved again. It's kind of a rehearsal and a reminder, just like when a couple renews their vows, how dear, how precious, it becomes more meaningful with time. But maybe for the first time uh, or a recommitment, you're gonna join us. And I want you to say it out loud. The Bible says, if we confess with our lips, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then thou shalt be saved. So if that's your desire, let's pray together out loud after this banner. Dear Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. And I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I am so sorry for everything I've done wrong. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for dying on the cross in my place. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come into my life to be my personal Lord and Savior. Please fill me with your Holy Spirit I receive the gift of eternal life. Now help me follow you, Jesus, all the way to heaven until I see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Welcome into the family. If you pray that prayer, you're a new brother or sister. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. 
Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.